Welcome in everybody to the very first episode of the Next on Deck Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Deegs. You can find me on Twitter at Deegs Baseball, my shenanigans on there. Joining me today is my esteemed friend, uh, the PETA-approved man himself, uh, a guy that I've known for a while as we belligerently swear at each other every night playing 2K. Uh, Mr. Ryan Manancio, how are we doing? Going on, Diggs. Did you like that intro? I had this planned the whole time. I thought that was fantastic. I'm glad. I hope PETA thinks it's Try fantastic. Tri- <laughs> trying really hard not to laugh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so today we're going to talk about a lot of fantasy baseball stuff. Obviously, this is a fantasy baseball podcast. Um, you can follow Ryan, first of all, on Twitter. I think his actual Twitter handle is Ven underscore Armbarn, um, which that is correct. Is- which is pretty funny. I'm not going to lie. I, I thought it was stupid, but every time I say it out loud, it's it's pretty fucking hilarious. So, um, And yesterday, Ryan, for the very first time, published the Call to the Arm Barn <laughs> podcast. So if, if you haven't noticed, he's really taken this whole PETA Arm Barn thing very seriously. Um, but all jokes aside, it was a really good podcast. You can find it on this network on Apple Podcasts. Just type in Next on Deck Sports. It'll pop up where he kind of sat down for like an hour and 10 minutes um, and talked about how he applies statistics and whatnot to evaluating fantasy baseball and players. Um, You know, personally, I I thought it was really informative. Um, You know, my favorite part was the 710 drinks of water you took because your throat (laughs) was just given out after talking for so long. So that was hilarious. But uh, the information was really good and I would definitely recommend giving it a follow. Um, so today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about drafts, what drafting is like in October and November and early after the season is over. Uh, Ryan, I have not done any, any drafts yet, but Ryan has because he's an absolute degenerate and loves fantasy baseball. So we're going to kind of go through his draft strategies this time of year, going to break down some trends he's seen, um, also kind of go over one of his teams and whatnot that he's drafted. But before we do that, some big time news today in the baseball world uh, that dropped Ray's superstar prospect, 20 year old shortstop Wander Franco signs a 12 year deal to stay with Tampa Bay through his age 32 season, $185 million of it guaranteed with upwards of $223 million, um, you know, for him to earn in that deal. So Ryan, initial thoughts on this deal, how this affects Franco, um, you know, now and, and going forward, I, I really don't think personally my views of him change, but uh, just kind of what you think of, of, of this whole process. I think it's really funny that uh, some people on Twitter are saying like, oh, how could he accept this deal? Like he's losing some money, but he's 20 years old <laughs> and he's worth $200 million now. I mean, it's a, for him, it's a no brainer for the race. Yeah. It's a no brainer. It's just awesome to see the Rays uh spend money they haven't done that since longoria i think it is the largest contract in the history of the the tampa bay rays which um yeah it's it's pretty surprising to see them show out that kind of money but you know we we've seen these trends of the rays over the years getting rid of guys because they just don't want to spend money i don't think you could possibly retain whatever is left of that fan base if you were at 26 years old when he's a free when he was going to be a free agent to let Wander Franco walk um, just because you don't want to spend the money so honestly I think it's it's a major win for Tampa Bay kind of like you said because they locked him up early they don't have to worry about it Uh, if he keeps playing how he's been playing in the short glimpses that we've seen him uh, then this is going to end up being a steal but but dude for the people that are on Twitter that are like, oh, he's walking away from $500 million. Um, can you imagine being a 20-year-old from the Dominican Republic and somebody coming up to you and saying, hey, I, I want to give you $220 million and looking at them and saying, no, I, I just, no. I, I seriously can't even fathom um, ever doing yeah, no. it. Yeah, no, no, I'm good. I, I don't need the money. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll take the gamble on getting 400 mil. Um, I don't, I, I can't, I, I feel like people don't use perspective and, 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 and feel with, with stuff like this. Like, 
this this kid comes from a third world country. He, he's 20. He's setting himself up and generations of his family up forever with $220 million. And he's going to be a free agent at 32. Like this is the kind of guy that is going to age well with his hit tool and he can defend at shortstop. Like he's in line to get a, probably a pretty good deal in 2033, as crazy as that sounds. Um, if he keeps hitting at 32 years old, somebody will give him a four or five year deal worth of, with, with pretty significant AAV if, if he's truly a superstar. So I don't know, man, uh, but good for Wander, really good for the Tampa Bay Rays. They lock up their superstar. Um, do you have any, any final thoughts on that? No, I was just looking up because I mentioned Longoria earlier. He signed for 10 years, 100 million. So he, <laughs> that was in 2012, uh, I believe it was 2012, and he signed for half of what Wanda Frank was getting. It's pretty yeah. insane. How times have changed. How times have changed. So one, one quick thing about Wander. If, so like you're drafting right now. Okay. Obviously he, he, he came up last year and was awesome. Uh, gets on base a ton has long been lauded for this super awesome hit tool and, and, and barrel feel and, and strike zone discipline and awareness of the zone from a fantasy standpoint, uh, where are you taking him this year in his second season? Uh, you know, we know the Rays don't like to play guys every day, but he is a guy that's going to play every day. He is their shortstop. It's kind of like Randy or Rosarena who plays every single day. Um, so where are you taking a guy like this with this kind of skill set? Yeah, so in the last most recent draft, uh, he went in the fourth. I'm not sure if I want him that early. He's going to give you runs. He's going to give you a really high average. Probably hits 300. Um, my biggest issue is that when I'm drafting in the fourth or fifth round, unless I'm taking a guy like, let's say, Jordan Alvarez or Rafael Devers, who I know is giving me 30, 100, 100, with close to a 300 average, which Wander, I mean, I can't see him hitting 30 homers next year. So unless you're doing that, you ha- kind of have to steal bases. And Wander stole two bases in the 70 games he was up. So, again, it's a small sample, so he might steal 10 next year or 15. You don't really know. He's so young. Um, I'm not willing to pay that price of a third or fourth round pick. Uh, personally, I'd rather have Trevor Story. I'd rather have Bogarts. I'd rather have Tim Anderson. I'd rather have Javi Baez. Um, so I probably won't be drafting much of Wander Franco this year. Yeah, the thing with that, too, is like he plays a position that is so deep that like there's a, there's there's going to be very talented individuals that you're going to want to take in front of him. Like if he was a third baseman, I feel like this could potentially be different just because of the, you know, the, that position being pretty weak. But um, I think this is a guy, at least for now, that's going to be a lot better in from a real life standpoint than he is from fantasy. So I would kind of tend to lean with you and agree with you um, in that perspective. So um all righty well that's kind of the, the only big news here i guess the only other thing would be that the white Sox are on the verge of signing kendall graveman uh to a three-year deal worth 24 million dollars from a fantasy standpoint i don't really think there's much of an impact there obviously liam Hendricks is is as locked in of a closer as 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 we can have if they are to trade uh, craig kimbrell which is which all indications are that they are going to do that so um, kind of moving away from the news part of this podcast, let's jump in right into draft strategy. So like I mentioned earlier, there is a select group of people like you, John Fish, Rob DPH, or all these people that are drafting now. Um, it is October, or it is November. Um, the season did end roughly three weeks ago on like November 2nd when the Braves won the World Series. So Kind of give me your process of drafting now, you know, into the offseason, before the offseason starts, before teams really tend to sign players. Obviously, this year, there's a lot of high-profile free agents that we don't know where they're going. There's a ton of shortstops who are really talented players. They're going to be on the market, who knows for how long, lockout impending. Um, Nick Castellanos is a guy, Starling Marte, still a free agent. So there's a lot of, you know, really valuable fantasy contributors that don't have a team right now. Obviously they're going to have a team eventually because they're very good baseball players, but, um, kind of just break down what your thought process is. Do you like drafting at this time of the year? Do you prefer it to drafting earlier? What kind of drafts you're doing right now? The floor is yours, man. I'm, I'm just here to take it all in. I really actually enjoy drafting this early. Um, the biggest thing for me is that everyone's like really overreacts to what just happened um, in the 2021 season. 
Uh, just some examples of that. Uh, just going into the my recent most recent draft board. So someone like Salvador Perez, for example, is getting taken in like the third or fourth round because he just hit 48 home runs. Um, and granted, it's not like it was a fluke. Like he hit the crap out of the ball all year. He was on fire in the last three months of the season. It's just that it's really hard um, for someone like Salvador Perez. It's really hard for me to buy in to Salvador Perez now being like a perennial 35, 40 homer hitter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another guy, Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, I love Tyler O'Neill in the 20th, 25th round, like last year. Can I buy into Tyler O'Neill in the fourth round now? Uh, personally, I just can't. Um, you know, he's a really streaky player, strikes out a ton. Of course, he's talented. I just, uh, I need to see more than, you know, um, three good months that he had, four good months that he had. Another guy's Robbie Ray. He's also being taken in the fourth round. Um, and, you know, he pitched really well. He won the Cy Young. He's a good pitcher. But do I want Robbie Ray as my first or second starter? Um, as personally, I, I can't do that. Um, so at least in the first 10 rounds, I think there's a pretty decent edge if you – uh, kind of draft players based on track record instead of overreacting to what they just did. Yeah, I mean, I will, I'll probably bathe in a tub full of mayo if Salvador Perez hits anywhere close to 40 home runs next year. Uh, I just, it's, it's so hard to do. Like, how many guys a year hit 35 bombs, 40 bombs? Like, to do, to expect that guy to do that. Um, is is just not realistic i get it like he plays every day and that's the appeal and he's definitely one of the top catchers in all of fantasy baseball but i i mean we'll talk about it when we get in your teams i just think there's some catchers that have similar upside down the road um than a guy like salvador perez so i'm looking at your fan tracks team here mr ryan venancio is the team name probably got to fix that probably need a better team name but uh, I'm scrolling through your roster, and why don't you kind of just give us some names here that stand out, um, you know, kind of how you feel about this team as a whole from top to bottom, what your strategy was. It, this is a draft and hold, right? So there's no, there's no waivers? Yeah, there's no waivers. The 50 players you draft are the 50 players that you have for the entire season. And, yeah. Um, oh, tracks is kind of – so, so you're in a draft and hold, right? So you know, you know that these are the guys. So whoever you draft, those are your dudes. Those, those are the, are the guys that you're rolling with the whole year. Like no matter what injuries, whatever, you got to deal with all the shit that happens with these 50 guys because you can't replace them essentially. So what is your strategy going in there? Like, are you shooting for upside guys? Are you, are, are you going for playing time? <laughs> Are you kind of playing it safe because you know that like you want to be risk averse because you need as much, you know, counting stats as possible. Like what is your mentality when it comes to a, a draft and hold? Yeah. So it's a combination of everything I want in the first, probably 20 rounds. You want guys, you know, are playing every day. Great. Obviously, unless they get injured, but you want guys that are playing um, because, you know, you only get 50 players. You don't have, there's no waiver wire ads. You can't um, – if someone gets sent to the minor leagues that is in your starting lineup, you're screwed. You have to replace them with, you know – a good example is let's say you drafted O'Neal Cruz as your starting middle infielder, right? And let's say he just – he stinks like Jared Kalenic did, and he gets sent right back down to AAA in June or May. Um a good pairing with O'Neill Cruz would be someone like Alcides Escobar. He's not any good, but he's going to play every day. Um, another guy would be like Miguel Rojas. He's not, of course, he's not going to have a better year than O'Neill Cruz, but he's going to probably play more than O'Neill Cruz. Um, so you, you don't want any empty stats. And you kind of want to try your best, even though it's so early and rosters aren't set at all. Um, you want to try your best to have a good combination of talent and uh, opportunity. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you hit the nail on on the coffin right there. Definitely want to go for guys that are that don't have you know a ton of red flags in terms of playing time, 
uh, in terms of like injury history and stuff like that. Those are the kind of drafts that you want to, you know, like, like those where you would target players like that would obviously be trying to win an overall in a league where you can replace players through the waiver wire, fab, whatnot. So, all right, so I got Fantrax pulled up right here. I'm looking at your team, and let's is just Fantrax kinda... not is Fantrax not working that well for you too? It keeps uh, like keeps uh, kicking me out. No, I got it right here. It might just be a you thing. I don't know, man. Okay, uh, it might be, might be. My internet isn't great. So, ahead, so we'll start. We'll just kind of briefly, super briefly, going position by position here. I'm looking at it. This is a two catcher league, right? So you started. Your two catchers are going to be Cal Raleigh and Dalton Varsho. Kind of run me through that process here. Obviously. Cal Raleigh, I think he's a 24, 25-year-old backstop for the Seattle Mariners who was kind of getting some buzz in AAA last year. I believe he came up to the big leagues for a little bit too. And then obviously Dalton Varsho, we know, is is the catcher-outfield hybrid for the Arizona Diamondbacks and has a ton of fantasy appeal this year. Yeah, Varsho is a guy I have to have on every team. Um, I really think he's going to be a top-three catcher next year because – just to be, uh, I don't know, say it as quick as I can. But um, so the, the Diamondbacks have Varsho, Carson Kelly, and this kid Cooper Hummel, um, who's a really good underrated prospect, who's also catcher outfield. So my thought process is that towards the end of the year, Varsho didn't really catch as much. And with Carson Kelly, Carson Kelly being healthy, I could see them doing Kelly and Hummel as their two catchers and Varsho playing every day in center field, which would be ideal having a guy catching and you know, playing the outfield every day. So you could have a catcher that plays 150, 160 games. Um, in terms of Cal Raleigh, <laughs> this is the tough part about uh, doing a draft so early. This draft had DiPietro in it. It had Fish. It had Mike the Mouth. Um, I'm sure I'm leaving some really good names out of it. But um, – Everyone's a really good fantasy player. So the problem is um, I didn't want Cal Raleigh as my second catcher. He's probably a much better third catcher. So what happens is a catcher run goes, and I think I had the 14th pick, which I did not want. Um, Drafting that late. So a catcher run goes, and I'm stuck with a bunch of young guys as my catcher two, three, and four. so obviously that is not ideal. You do not want Cal Raleigh as your catcher too. Uh, he got called to the big leagues last year and was not good. So um, yeah, just to wrap that up, I would not recommend having Cal Raleigh as your catcher two and Luis Capusano as your catcher three. Yeah, I, the only one like of that group that is interesting is 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 Camposano. If there is the uh, the universal DH does come to the National League solely because. I know Victor Caratini is is you Darvish's personal catcher, but that guy sucks. Like he really just sucks at hitting. And uh, Nola has Nola has been battling a ton of injuries, or in, in, including injuries to his knees. So I could see the Padres like doing some shuffling around. Camposano uh, mashes left-handed pitching, so if he was ever to be on the strong side of a platoon, he would he he, he would hit that way. Um, and he's got big time power and he can really catch too. So I, there's a chance that if an injury happens or, or, or whatnot that you, that you luck in to that. But uh, I mean, I would agree. Cal Raleigh. Um, I don't know how much upside there is, especially this year. I don't, I don't even know how long he's going to be in the big leagues this year, to be honest with you. So uh, I don't know, man, we'll see how that pans out. But for your first baseman, Brandon belt had an awesome year with the San Francisco giants um, 32 home runs just signed the qualifying offer. So he will be back in the Bay next year. What was kind of your thought process with belt? Is it just trying to get as many giants players as possible? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the goal. Um, and also I think those fan track stats are projections. I don't think those are their numbers. They just put up. Oh, really? I'm double checking. Actually, yeah, I, don't, I don't think it is. Yeah, he, he had 29 home runs, which is yeah. insane. He had 29 home runs in 97 games. He's never yeah. hit 30 home runs in a, in a season before. Does that, does that surprise you? It does, although he, he would have he would have easily this year. He, yeah. Yeah, he had that bad injury. But, um, yeah, Belt's a stud. Um, whatever the Giants did to all of their veterans 
to help them hit better. Uh, I don't know. It worked. So uh, Belt's going to play every day. Um, I believe he accept. Yeah, he's the only one that accepted qualifying offer. Yeah. So he is going to be back on the Giants next year. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Yeah, so as long as he's healthy, he's going to be in the lineup um, 90% of the time. I mean, he might sit sometimes against lefties. I know they, lo- they love platooning. But, um, yeah, he's awesome. So currently we're just going to go up to both of your up the middle spots. So second base shortstop, and then your middle infield spot, second base, you selected somewhat of a polarizing player. It seems like on the, uh, on the good old Twitter sphere, some people are totally off him because of some swing and miss issues, but had a big time season as a, from a fantasy baseball standpoint. And that's Miami Marlins second baseman and shortstop jazz Chisholm obviously came over in that deal where they got Zach, Gall- where they gave away Zach Gallon to the Arizona Diamondbacks. So um, a very integral piece of whatever Miami's building here in the future. He had 18 home runs and swiped 23 bases last year. Man, if this kid plays, if, if he gets 600 ABs under his belt, I can't even imagine what that's going to look like. He could easily go 25-25 or 25-30. Yeah, what kind of annoys me is that uh, how many – how much uh, emphasis people put on rookie stats. Like we know it takes a while to get acclimated to big league pitching. So I kind of don't, you know, the underlying stuff is really important. Like Chisholm has a great max EV, great sprint speed. Um, He's obviously an awesome athlete and has some swing and mission issues, but you know, given all of that, he's still almost had a 2020 season while missing 40 games. And he's going to play every day. He's going to play every day. He's going to bat lead off. He's going to bat lead off every day. Like the, and he's super talented. The kid, do you remember last year? I think he took an 102 mile an hour fastball above the zone off Jacob DeGrom and parked it like 420 to right. Yeah. He oozes bat speed. It's it's a super fluid athletic operation in the batter's box. There's a ton of, there's a, there's a ton of intangibles metrically speaking to like with him. And I feel like a lot of people are going to ding him because he plays for the Marlins. I don't know, man. I have a feeling that like the Marlins really want to go out there and, and spend some money and, and bring in some guys and, and, and make their lineup better. Um, and if he's, if, if there's any sort of improvement for the people hitting behind him and he's hitting lead off with his threat to steal um, and he starts to give you, you know, run scoring opportunities and stuff like that. There's there's a really good positive return of investment potential there with Chisholm. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I love him and everything I've heard from him and like interviews and everything. He just says he wants to keep getting better and keep getting better. And keep getting the personality better. is unbelievable. Like, yeah. Yeah. Another thing that people really don't take into account is makeup. Um, the, the Cardinals, I think. um value makeup more than any other team. And uh, they seem to be doing pretty well over the last 20 years. Indeed they are. So with your shortstop spot, another guy that everybody either loves or hates, uh, Mr. Javi Baez obviously traded from the Chicago Cubs to the New York Mets late last year at the deadline where he kind of turned it on uh, down the stretch, hit much better in New York. I think he went bonkers for a couple of weeks to kind of rose those stats up. Finished the year with 31 bombs, a 265 batting average, 80 runs, 87 RBIs, and 18 swipes. I was kind of listening to your podcast yesterday, um, and I think you made a really good point that um, when, when you were talking about targeting guys to play every single day, even though Javi Baez, you know, we for years now, we've known that he's been a free swinger. The guy's never seen a pitch that he doesn't think he can drive as far as he possibly can. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that he was still a four and a half win player last year. He's got dummy bat speed and dummy power uh, to the pull side, which is, which is what you want. You want guys that can elevate the baseball to their pull side and, and launch it to the moon. And he's an unbelievable defender, man. It doesn't matter where you put this guy on the diamond, that glove plays. So he's going to play every single day, which is what you want in these draft and holds. And if you're getting power from him and stolen bases, like, I don't know if, if, if he's playing every day, giving you what he gave you last year, I think you're going to be happy. Yeah. I mean, he's a stud again. I don't, I don't want to go too much into it because I talked about him a bunch on the other pod, but you know, he's going to play every day. He's going to hit homers. He's going to steal bases. That's all I care about. I don't care how much he chases. That's not a category in fantasy. 
Yeah. Yep. 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 Totally agree. Your middle infield spot is a guy that can do something that most people can't, and that's hit the absolute piss out of the baseball. O'Neill Cruz of the Pittsburgh Pirates, kind of a unicorn in his own right. I believe he's six foot seven. Uh, recorded one of the hardest hit baseballs in his brief major league stint last year in the entire league. I think it was like 117 mile per hour max EV kind of their, their crown jewel prospect for an organization that from a development standpoint is definitely improving. They have one of the best farm systems in all of baseball. Now, after they kind of went through an entire organizational cleanse from a previous regime, um, honestly, I feel like there is a ton of hype around O'Neill Cruz. There was a lot of people that were blowing him up after he came up to the big leagues and was smashing baseballs left and right. There's a projection on fan tracks for him to hit 292, 14 bombs and 18 stolen bases. Are you that optimistic about it? Because obviously the upside is tremendous, but he is going to be a rookie next year. Uh, there have, you know, when you have these guys that are six foot six, six foot seven with these super long levers, there does tend to be a, a tendency for them to swing and miss. Um, now, Cruz is a guy that is, is relatively short to the baseball and can control his body pretty well for how young and athletic he is. But are we putting too high of expectations on a guy who is not going to be hitting in a great lineup next year and is going to be a rookie? Yeah. Um, again, this was a really tough draft room. I don't really want O'Neill Cruz as my starting middle infielder, but sometimes you got to take what you what you get. Um, and you know, it's playing time again. I think he gets called up at worst uh, third week of April, and I think he plays every day, even if he hits two forty five like Jazz Chisholm and gives me twenty homers and twenty steals. I'll be happy. I personally think I think he's going to break camp with with the Pirates. I think that's a team that needs to start showing something at the major league level. Um, he's he is like their their best prospect right now, positionally speaking. And to me, like if you're Pittsburgh, you want that guy up and getting acclimated. My only fear, like you said, would be if he sucks. Like you said that on on, on yesterday's pod, if he sucks and gets sent down, like you don't want to be screwed without um, having a guy to, to slot in there to your middle infield spot, which, which then leads me to my next point, a guy that you and I have discussed personally on many different podcasts or on many different personal occasions is Ha Sung Kim of the San Diego Padres, another polarizing player. You know, a lot of people last year thought that he would be a guy that ate into uh, Jake Cronenworth's playing time. We did not see that happen. Um, I don't even know why people thought that because it was like, this guy is coming over from a different hemisphere that's never seen major league pitching and you're going to just throw him to the wolves and Hey man, come hit this 98 mile per hour fastball. It's rising 17 inches up into the zone. Did not think that was going to go well for Hassan Kim, but the fact of the matter is he is an unbelievable defender. He can play basically anywhere on the infield. I, you could probably play him in either corner outfield spot and he'd be fine because of how supreme of an athlete he is. And you are personally high on Hassan Kim because of his ability to pull the baseball. Yeah, every, everything about his profile I love. And I, I really think he is the next Marcus Simeon. Obviously, is he going to have a 45 homer, 15 steal season? No, no, he's not. But I think he's going to break out next year in a big way. Um, like you said, great athlete. He can play all over the field. He hits the ball in the air a ton. He pulls the ball in the air a ton. And he never got consistent playing time at all last year. I think, I think he started five times a week when Tatis went down, but Tatis only missed what two weeks. Yeah. He did not. He did not miss that many games. He, he missed like 30 games. Yeah. And on, it was across like three or four different IL stints. Yeah. Kim never played every, I mean, he's got a one twelve max EV. He hits the ball in the air just as often as he hits the ball on the ground, which is awesome. He pulls the ball 50% of the time. Uh, there's nothing. Uh, and his plate discipline metrics are good. Mm -hmm. Like there's a, nothing about his profile. I don't like, and again, uh, with someone that played that little, I don't really want to look at surface stats. Like, Oh, he, people are going to say, Oh, he hit two Oh two with two seventy OBP. He's a bum. It's like, he never got consistent playing time. And uh, someone that's coming from the KBO, which is what, what would you say? Equivalent to double a. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a little bit better than double a. Yeah. A little bit better than double a. And he had a 10% strikeout rate and a 12% walk rate and a 140 WRC plus his last season in KBO. So 
you know, maybe it takes him another year to get used to major league pitching. Um, another guy. I want him on every team. Yeah, I, love I the, mean, love, love the metrics, and uh, I think it's going to be awesome. There are, there are still people that, that have playing time concerns, and honestly, that is potentially, like, just um, – you know, we don't know what the Padres are, are going to do with Eric Hosmer. It seems like the indications are they want to trade him. If that was the case, you could very easily shift uh, Jake Cronenworth over to first base. You could also play Jerickson Profar there. Will Myers has played first base before. Um, the thing with this Padres team is there are so many guys that can play so many different positions that I, I just think that – and you have to factor in the DH coming. Like, I don't think that from a defensive standpoint – purely that a guy like Adam Frazier or Jerickson Profar is going to take away playing time from Hassan Kim. Um, if, if for whatever reason, Hosmer is traded away, if he's relegated to a full-time bench role, uh, I really think you're going to see guys like Will Myers and Jake Cronenworth playing first base. And that's going to open up a spot for Kim to play second base because that would seriously give the Padres the best infield defense in, in all of baseball, like imagine an infield of Machado, Tatis, Kim, and Cronenworth. Like that's four shortstops playing every infield spot. And that might just be the best infield in Major League Baseball, period. Yeah, like that's unbelievable. So I think that Kim's glove, his athleticism, don't be surprised if in spring training he's playing a corner outfield spot because they need that. They don't know if, if, if Tommy Pham's coming back. If they don't add anybody this offseason from a bat standpoint, which – given the fact that they're trying to unload money right now, it doesn't seem particularly likely. Like if they are going to add guys, it's going to be on the pitching staff in the bullpen and stuff like that. Like Kim's athleticism allows him to move around. I think he could be a really big asset for this team, even if it's with the glove alone. And if that's the case, he's going to play. So I totally agree there. Like if O'Neill Cruz goes down or gets sent down or he gets hurt, like you have options to fill in that middle infield spot. Yeah, again, to my other point, um, it's not a bad idea to have some great defenders on your bench in these because, you know, great defenders play. Yeah, I mean, big league teams value great defenders immensely. Like like you said yesterday on the podcast, Nick Ahmed has carved himself into an everyday playing career for his entire life because he's literally one of the best defensive shortstops of the last decade. Same thing with Andrelton Simmons and whatnot. So those guys play. Freddie Galvis played for the Padres for two years because of how good he was defensively. Um, and he's still in the big leagues now because of that. So, all right, we'll go over to your third base and corner infield spot. Uh, you have Abraham Toro of the Seattle Mariners as your third baseman and Craig Biggio of the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> I, wish I'd, I wish I had Craig Biggio. Or sorry, Kevin I'd be, Biggio. I'd be a lot more confident. Uh, Toro, a guy that uh, was hitting kind of okay for the Astros. They shipped him off at the, at the deadline to getting Kendall Graveman. He's kind of always been a hit tool over power kind of guy. What are you, what are you seeing here with Toro in 2022? Yeah, Toro's another guy. Again, I would not recommend doing this with your team. I can't say this enough. I drafted way too young, but, you know, that's what happens when you draft early and you draft really good players. Um, forced my hand, but, you know, you got to deal with it. Um, Toro, I really like because, um, you know, the Mariners went out and traded for him. I think he's their everyday third baseman um, after Kyle Seager is most likely done as a Mariner. Um, and he's got a, got a lot of underlying metrics that I like. Um, he hits the ball in the air a ton and he makes a lot of contact. It's, he's really similar to, um, I could see him being like Eduardo Escobar, you know, hitting like 260, 25 homers and just being a solid third baseman that kind of goes under the radar. Yeah. And, and, and third base on its own, right. If, if, if you're not getting one of the top guys, then there's kind of this conglomerate at the end that is, is not great. And Toro does have second base eligibility, so you can move him around if you need to. Um, let's and, love, then let's... and then Kevin Biggio is just, um, like you said, third base is not good. Everybody and... hates everybody hates this guy. I remember when he came up and he yeah. tore it up and had that, you know, in 2019, he had that big-time OBP. And even in, that, in, the, uh, in, in the shortened season, he was good. Um, and then he's just, he just sucked last year, man. He really yeah. sucked. Yeah. He had a spine injury uh, midway through the season. And, you know, the dead and ball affect 
some players more than others. And it definitely had an effect on Biggio, who was like kind of like walking a thin line because of how he doesn't really make great contact. You know, he doesn't hit the ball hard, but he walks a ton and he optimizes his launch angle. He, hits, he pulls the ball in the air a bunch. So that's where he gets his home runs from. So the dead and ball is going to affect him more because those home runs that are going out by 15 feet are now dying at the warning track. Um, I still like him though. In his first 159 major league games, he had 24 homers and 20 steals with a 240 average. Um, I am not confident in the Blue Jays playing Santiago Espinal at third base next year over Biggio. Uh, even if he's a platoon guy, I think Biggio is a, again, I don't want him as my starting corner infielder, but um, when a third base run happens in a draft and you're picking in the 14 spot, you have, I just had to take the best third baseman available. Um, so I got stuck with Biggio. So we'll kind of move into your outfielders here. And I actually really like what you did with your outfield. Um, I think it's probably one of the stronger units on your team as a whole. You have Trent Grisham, Jeff McNeil, Chris Taylor, Kyle Tucker, and Jesse Winker. Um, I like what you did here because you have McNeil and Taylor that can move around and play different spots. Like Chris Taylor has second base and shortstop eligibility. Um, we don't know where he's going to be next year, but you know, potentially could be thrusted into an everyday playing time role where he has succeeded in the past when the Dodgers gave him playing time. He was a really, really key piece to them moving down, like to them down the stretch, being a, you know, solid all-around contributor that can be a 2010 guy like he did this year. Uh, Grisham, I, 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 I don't know how to feel about Trent Grisham. The, my only concern is this, right? Like the, the people that say that he's not going to play, and that he's going to be platooned are just are just wrong. Like the Padres don't have a center fielder. Um, you're not going to see the Tatis experiment in center field again. Um, you know, I, he has come out and said, like, I'm a shortstop. I'm going to play shortstop, and I'm I'm pretty sure the Padres are going to let their 21 year old superstar just 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 play shortstop. So my only problem with Grisham is the fact that you know he's probably going to hit towards the bottom of that lineup. They love to hit Tatis leadoff. Uh, it's kind of been a thing they've done over the past couple of years. We don't know if that's going to stick with now Bob Melvin coming in here, which is definitely a dynamic to it. But um, in terms of like what he can do on the field, the guy had a bad year. Um, he, you know, he was hurt. He missed time with an injury, but this is a guy who is an outstanding defender in center field, which is obviously the most important position in the outfield defensively he gets on base he's got an awesome knack for the baseball he can hit for power he can run if he is hitting towards the top of the lineup he's going to be an absolute star next year um do you kind of share some of those concerns with Grisham or do you think he's going to go back to being like a solid five category guy no I don't have any concerns about Grisham um like I said on the pod yesterday um more is very important because that is how teams evaluate players um and Trent Grisham's a four five win player. He's going to play every day. Even if he hits lefty, even if he's lefty, even if he hits ninth against lefties or eighth against lefties, I don't care. He's going to play every day. He's too good of a player. What what is he, the Padres third best position player? Like he's not third or fourth. Yeah, hammer Cronenworth. He's not, yeah. he, he's not gonna pl- they're not gonna platoon him. That's insanity. Yeah, um, he's going to play. Yeah, and he had a heel injury that kind of messed him up. A common theme with my team is, like I said earlier, um, I don't like paying up for guys that just had monster years, and I kind of like uh, buying players that you know are coming off injuries or coming off down years, and that's about three-quarters of my outfield is uh, kind of meets that criteria with Grisham, um, McNeil, Winker, and Dom Smith. Yeah, so let's kind of circle back to Chris Taylor here. Um, Obviously, he declined the qualifying offer that the Dodgers gave him. Um, I don't know if a return to L.A. is is in the cards. So you being a fantasy owner of Chris Taylor, where's kind of your ideal landing spot for him? So I saw the Giants were interested. Um, I wouldn't mind that because he would definitely play every day. Um, There's no way they would platoon Chris Taylor. 
and only play him against lefties. That wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, he's too good on so, both sides of the ball for that. Yeah, so if he went to the Giants, he'd play every day. So I guess I'd be okay with that, but that park isn't too great. Um, I guess the ideal landing spot would be back with the Dodgers, no? I mean, that yeah, lineup, is, I mean, that lineup yeah. is just so good, and he's proven he could hit home runs there. Um, so I, I, th- I think back with the Dodgers. How likely is that, though? Like, right, like – Assuming they move Turner over to short, uh, Gavin Lux now would then play every day at second base. Um, mm-hmm. You'd have Justin Turner at third. Muncie would be your first baseman. Obviously, Betts isn't right. You have to assume that Bellinger is playing is going to be an everyday guy for them. Um, yeah, Belly in center and then AJ Pollock in left. Yeah, so I don't know if that really makes sense for the Dodgers to do. Yeah, and their payroll is so high that I wouldn't be surprised if they don't re-sign Kenley Jansen or Chris Taylor. Yeah, they, they, I mean, they have to bring back some arms, too. Like, like Scherzer is technically gone. Like, Kershaw's a free agent. He didn't get a qualifying offer. Uh, like, right now, the only guy in their rotation is, I mean, Julio Urias, basically. Yeah, their payroll right now is $210 million, and they still have to sign a bunch of people. And yeah. they didn't even go through arbitration yet. Yeah, so, like, I mean, I can't imagine he's going to be back in L.A. I think that I think that he could be a guy, you know, like you said, goes to the Giants or one of these, like, weaker teams like Detroit or Miami that is looking to shell out some money, gives him, you know, a, a pretty significant contract to come in and be an everyday guy for them somewhere because he has that versatility to play you know, both middle infield spots and the outfield, that guy I think is going to get some real recognition from teams. Yeah, I actually, I think the Red Sox might even be a better fit than the Dodgers. That'd be good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely at the top of that lineup. Yeah. He would definitely bat lead off for them. That that would be an awesome fit. The Red Sox. It kind of thrust him into that Kike Hernandez role in, in a way they're, they're kind of similar in terms of like what they do defensively where Kike yeah, yeah. can play the infield and the outfield, which is kind of what they both did when they were both in L.A. So that's interesting. I don't know. I, I think if if that was to happen, you could definitely see his ADP rise if he was guaranteed playing time. So definitely a, a potential for positive return on investment there. Um, your other three outfield guys were Jeff McNeil, Kyle Tucker, and Jesse Winker. I don't think we have to spend much time on Tucker. Was he your first pick? Yeah, I took him 14th. Yeah, I think he's going to be, by the end of this year, a slam dunk top 10 guy. Does it all, man. Uh, good lineup, runs. I, you know, you and I have been fans of Kyle Tucker, you especially, for a, a very, very long time. So don't have to spend much time there with him. Jesse Winker was absolutely banging baseballs last year before going down with a back injury, man. He hits the shit out of the ball. He's got a really good ballpark. He gets on base. Uh, I, I love Jesse Winker. Yeah, and I, I, again, because he got injured, his draft price uh, plummeted. Where do you think he would be if he didn't get injured? Like if he played the full season? Yes, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm looking right now. My computer's kind of going slow. Um, where is my team? Must be all the way down. I took him. I took him with my seventh pick. 104th overall. I, I mean, think if he if he plays the whole year, he's got to go like 40 picks higher. At yeah, least. for for kind of a like a like a frame of reference here. Okay, Jesse Winker had 423 at bats last year. He was essentially a three win player, being a corner outfielder. So there's not much positional versatility there. So a lot of his value comes from the bat. Right? He slashed 305, 394, 556 to the tune of a 949 OPS. With 71 RBIs, 77 runs scored, and 24 home runs. If he stays healthy, he probably gets close to 40 home runs, most definitely drives in 100 RBI, uh, 100 runs, probably scores somewhere in the 90 to 95 run range, and almost, a, almost certainly has an OPS above 900. How many guys do that? I mean, that's a superstar offensively. The only yeah, thing he doesn't yeah, give you is steals. He doesn't run. He's not a very good athlete. No, no, he's a fucking horrible outfielder. But but he can hit. He bangs. Yeah. He bangs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the Reds are gonna play him every day. 
Another thing too he's- is he's he was a first rounder. He's got draft pedigree. He's a guy that was drafted to be good. That is good now. Great ballpark, dude. I'm I'm super in on Jesse Winker. That's an awesome pick where you got him. Uh, yeah, yeah, I really I really like it. again. Or what I was talking about earlier, the 30, 100, 100 guys that you draft in the second and third round. Winker could be that guy next year. Oh, absolutely. If he stays he's- healthy. Yeah, that's the so. The one knock on him is that he is kind of injury prone um, and he hasn't been able to put together a full healthy season. But again, he's only been in the majors. If you don't count 2020, because he couldn't have played a full season, then he's only been in the majors for three years. So it could be a fluke. He could be injury prone, but I'm definitely taking the chance on him at pick a hundred every draft. Yeah. Where you took him, I know. And like, definitely, I think if this was a, not a draft and hold, you could have potentially seen his ADP going up. Like you said, this was a very good draft room with guys that are that definitely tend to be, you know, just by listening to them talk more risk averse. So that's probably why you saw Jesse Winker drop. But still, like if 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 he puts up, if he does what he did last year, you get him at pick a hundred. That's a steal. That's a dude and a half right there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, if he only plays 120 games again, that's still a steal, just because the per game. Value is crazy. Yeah. So your last guy, Jeff McNeil, um, you know, kind of an awesome hitter a couple of years ago, 2019, he was an all-star. He slashed 318, 384, 531, relatively good last year as well. Uh, but he just, he really sucked this year, man. Uh, below 700 OPS, seven home runs, only three stolen bases. It was not scoring a ton of runs. Like, are you just banking on Jeff McNeil bouncing back? Essentially, is is this one of the guys that you took because he was coming off of a down year? Yeah. So batting average is really hard to find late in drafts, and to me, it was just so obvious he was hurt the entire year that I'm willing to bank on a bounce back. Um, again, in not counting 2020 because it wasn't a full season. 2019. He hit 23 homers, stole five bags, and hit 318. Um, he had the same strikeout rate as he had that year. He had the same walk rate as he had that year. Um, same barrel rate as he had in 2019, in 2021. All the numbers are exact. Max EV is the exact same. Fly ball rate is the nearly the exact same. So nothing really changed. Um, I think he was just – he had an injury. Um, he missed about 20 or 30 games with a leg injury. And he played through it, and obviously it didn't work out because he was terrible. Um, just uh, you look at his WRC pluses in his career: 2018, 136, then 144, then 131. The dude, the dude gets out of bed and hits. So um, everything that could have went wrong for the Mets went wrong last year. So I'm 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 banking on a bounce back. I'm pretty confident in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. So real quick here, briefly, let's kind of just look at your bench. If you have that pulled up here, um, what was kind of your thought process with constructing this bench? Was it just guys that, you know, are going to play that, 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 that you like that have some upside. There's a lot of rookies on this, uh, on your bench, like MJ Melendez and Nick Prado, both of the Kansas city Royals. You have Luis Camposano just kind of run me through like your thought process with some of these picks. Yeah, I just tried to get some some players with upside that I can see you know, giving me good playing time. Um, again, I kind of did a poor job of drafting veterans um, after doing, you know, this is my first draft of the year, so obviously it's not going to be perfect. Um, my second and third drafts, I was a lot better at getting veterans. Um, so that's one thing I would definitely recommend is trying to fill your bench with some veterans. But here I kind of just – you know, drafted some upside with guys I know are going to play. Um, uh, Tyrone Taylor, I got a pick 350. That kid is an absolute stud, and I am not confident at all in Lorenzo Kane staying healthy or Jackie Bradley Jr. playing uh, even decently. And with the DH, I think Tyrone Taylor is going to play a bunch. Um, I grabbed Prado and Melendez. Again, I drafted... What I messed up is there's no ADP. So I, I thought Prado and Melendez would be going in the late 300s, early 400s. 
And I took Prado 437, Melendez 467, which seems like a good price, but they're going in like the 500s on average in, in NFBC. So one of the things I would have done differently is drafting veterans with those two picks and then maybe taking Prado and Melendez seven or eight picks later. Um, but again, I'm confident in all of those guys playing a lot. Seth Beer, I think, is going to be the Diamondbacks DH from opening day, no doubt about it. Um, a guy like Andy Abanez on the Rangers, he played really well at the end of last year, and he's, he's going to play every day. Um, and then I took, I took a couple shots on guys like Josh Van Meter, maybe being a utility guy for the Diamondbacks, Zach McKinstry being a utility guy for the Dodgers, um, Vossler maybe playing some DH and third for the Giants. Um, so, yeah, again, it's not a perfect bench. It's not one that I would draft again, but it's, I don't think it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that they're, uh, I kind of agree with your, with your statement on the veterans. I think it's important that uh, to lock some guys that have been around the league and, and, and the teams will give playing time to, but there's definitely some upside scattered throughout your bench. So I think you kind of want an, an even balance of those guys when it comes to your later round picks, because if one of these guys was to hit like it's a potential league winner, if you draft somebody at 350 and he turns into an everyday contributor for your team, uh, your margin for error is is tremendously high with those guys. So, and they're all trip they're all triple A guys. Um, so like if you're at least gonna do the prospects strategy and take like four or five prospects, at least take guys that have hit at triple A, which all of these guys check those boxes. So that that I'm at least confident in. For sure, for sure. All right, let's move into the pitching staff here really quick. Uh, first glance, it, it really seems like you're banking on the Milwaukee Brewers having the best <laughs> pitching staff in baseball next year. You have Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta, who both are, you know, have that top of the rotation fantasy upside. Woodruff is one of the safer guys that you could possibly have. You know what you're getting. It's a pretty safe baseline for near 200 innings with us with a around three ERA. Um He's their bulldog. He's their workhorse. He's the guy that Crick Council will trust with the baseball. He's going to get you more than 200 Ks if he goes, you know, if he stays healthy. So I love Brandon Woodruff. I don't think you could really go wrong there. Um, yeah, he was know. my second pick. Yeah. And then, then Peralta is kind of that flashier upside guy who, you know, when he first came up, had a ton of struggles, very similarly to Corbin Burns, ton of struggles with command. Uh, you know, walking guys, not going deep, but the stuff is unbelievable. And if he takes that next jump, man, and stays healthy, this this is this guy could be Corbin Burns. Yeah, he's got the stuff too. Um, he definitely has the stuff too. I, yeah, like like you said, I love what the Brewers have been doing. So, you know, why not draft Woodruff Peralta and Aaron Ashby? And yeah, I was gonna say. Completing three out of the five from the <laughs> completing that trio is Aaron Ashby, who is definitely the most volatile of the of, of those three guys. But uh, if you ever watch this guy pitch, I, I, I was there in the, their game one, no game two. I was there game two against the Braves, and he came in in relief. And dude, it's one of the most electric things I've ever seen in my life. Like he is firing straight nitrogen at hitters 99 mile an hour fastballs from the left side with a banger breaking ball it is an uncomfortable delivery unorthodox cannot make for a good at bat he gets wild sometimes but the, the stuff is unreal like if this guy if, if if they let him go and they say hey man go eat like there's a really good chance he's a really impactful arm for milwaukee next year yeah, I like I said, I love the stuff. Um, 99 mile hour sinkers and one of the most effective sliders in baseball last year. So um, not much more to go into detail. Yeah, so an another guy that's kind of cut from that same mold uh, is, is Shane Boz, who came up last year for the Rays through 13 innings, made three starts. He has some of the best stuff you'll see. Uh, this is, you know, for my money, I, I've, I, I kind of said this when he was a prospect, when I was doing some prospect stuff, 
This is the closest thing there is to Corbin Burns right now. I mean, it is the easiest 100-mile-an-hour fastball you'll see from a sub-23-year-old guy. He is absolutely electric on the mound. The stuff has never been a question. The control got better. It was bad when he was uh, in the lower levels of the minors, but it's gotten better. And so he's firing strikes. He has, you know, a plus-plus arsenal. The only literal concern is how much is he going to pitch because he plays for the Tampa Bay race. Yeah, honestly, if he gives me 130 innings, I'm perfectly happy with that. Um, my my goal was to pair him with Johnny Cueto and to pair Aaron Ashby with Dane Dunning. I know that doesn't sound like the most sexy pairing. I actually like Dane Dunning this year. Yeah, it's two guys, Cueto and Dunning, I know are going to give me innings. And Boz and Ashby obviously have innings concerns. So when those two guys go out or if, you know, they – maybe don't pitch in the rotation for a month or if they get injured, I have two reliable guys that I know can give me innings. Um, and that's, in my opinion, really important. If you're going to draft young guys like Boz and Ashby, um, you have to pair them with pitchers, you know, are going to give you innings. Yeah. Another one of those guys that you know is going to give you innings and it, it's, it's not a sexy pick, but he's coming off a good year with the Oakland A's is, is Sean Manaya. made 32 starts last year. 180 innings with 194 Ks, a 391 ERA, kind of a guy that has had his struggles with injuries in the past. Um, it does look like those are are, are behind him, and, and he's a solid, solid pitcher on a team that always finds a way to be competitive. Yeah, if Boz pans out and Manaya's my SP4, I'm, I'm really happy with that. Yeah, yeah. You also took Huascar Yanoa of the Atlanta Braves, a guy who was kind of coming up before, I think he like punched a wall and broke his hand or something. Uh, so he's an idiot, but he's good at baseball. <laughs> and, um, you know, kind of in your saves department, I, I'm going to guess that you're, you're banking on Rysel Iglesias kind of locking down most of the saves. He is a free agent, but I can't imagine he'll go anywhere where he's not going to be the closer. That guy is about as safe as it gets. Yeah, and I also also really like Scott Barlow. Um, he did a great job closing for Kansas City last year. He was their closer at the end of the year. So I fully expect him to be the closer to start the year next year. Um, if Barlow can give me 20 saves and Iglesias, you know, just stays healthy and is a closer, I'm pretty confident in those top two. And then Andrew Kittredge, um, with, with the news of Nick Anderson, uh, I think it was a few a few weeks ago maybe, that he was getting an additional elbow surgery. Yeah, he's going to be out for a while, I think. Yeah, I think he is the top reliever in the Rays bullpen, which, again, isn't guaranteed saves. But if he gives me 10 to 12 saves with elite ratios, I'll happily take that as my third relief pitcher. Yeah, and then kind of just wrapping up your pitching staff here, like you mentioned – you took Cueto and you took uh, Dane Dunning. Uh, you know, not sexy guys. Dane Dunning, I think, is going to pitch a lot. I think he's going to be a pretty good value guy uh, in terms of innings for the, the, the Texas Rangers. They're a bad team. They have nothing to lose. He was the main piece in the Lance Lynn trade. Dane Dunning was also a first-round pick, so there is that pedigree behind him. Teams always, 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 something that I think people don't understand – or look past is major league baseball teams will always give opportunities to guys that were first round picks. Who's that guy that the Royals drafted or they trade or they traded for. Yeah. In the like, case of the Rangers, they traded for Dan Dunn. Yeah. Or Bubba Starling, I think was the guy that the Royals drafted. That guy was, he was in the big league or he was like, he floated around from professional teams for like 10 years. Like they will always teams will always give guys that have that pedigree a chance, regardless of if they drafted them or not. Um, and he's that guy. And I, I just really think he's going to eat up innings. He might not put up great numbers, but he's going to give you value. Uh, Cueto's kind of the same way. You took a shot on Matt Manning for Detroit, who admittedly has been pretty poor over the last few years, but he was a high pedigree prospect. Again, another first round pick. He was a top 10 pick. At one point, there was a serious debate between who was the top pitching prospect in that Detroit Tigers organization. Uh, Manning has obviously taken a step back behind uh, Scooble and Casey Mize, but there is talent. There's pedigree. I think you're banking on that with that pick there. Um, and then Corey Knable is an interesting guy too with the Dodgers, man. If, if Kenley Jansen's gone. Well, Knable's a free agent. 
Oh, is he? Well, I mean, that's the yeah, guy. Which is, even, be- which is even better. Yeah, and if they do bring him back, he'll be their closer. Yeah. Um, so. But anyway, I, I think he I think he ends up being a closer. He was really good. For whoever signs him. He was he really good. Un- he has one of the best curveballs I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean the back end. I guess, I guess if if Jansen walks though, wouldn't wouldn't Trinan be their closer? Yes, if they don't sign Knable or I can't uh, or I, Jansen Trinan just has ridiculous stuff. I, oh, he's, I, I really he's don't know closer. how. I don't know how he gave up a run this year. I don't know. Like you watch uh, that guy throw, he might have the two best pitches in baseball. Like the fact that he gave up 16 runs in 72 innings, which is an unbelievably low number, is mind-boggling. I don't know how it's possible. The stuff is unbelievable. He's got like demon shit. No, he's so, a, he's a he's a freak. All right, man. Well, that kind of wraps us up. We were, you know, we kind of just broke down your draft strategy, broke down your teams. Uh, you know, it's kind of that time of the year where there's not much to talk about. So strategy and all that fun stuff is kind of the uh, what, what, what we have on the fantasy baseball hemisphere, but hopefully, you know, we can continue to find stuff to talk about, continue breaking stuff down. And maybe we'll look at ADP next and kind of some other drafts that you and I are not a part of. Um, but that kind of is, is going to wrap this episode up again. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at Ven underscore arm barn, very PETA approved. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Deeks Baseball. Ryan, thank you for sitting down and talking to me. And I can't wait to yell at online people at, on 2K later with you. Of course, man. Sweet. Thanks for listening. See you later, guys.